From claims of healings and visions to the world's most inexplicable events, whether you're a believer or a skeptic, the truth is always worth the hunt. EWTN Radio presents The Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to The Miracle Hunter Radio Show on EWTN Radio. This is Michael O'Neill, The Miracle Hunter. Hey, tomorrow we've got a big feast day, Our Lady of Lourdes. That is one of the uh, big Marian feast days in the entire Roman calendar where we celebrate a miraculous occurrence. And there are very few of those. Of course, we all know Fatima Lourdes Guadalupe. Uh, Tomorrow is the feast day of Our Lady of Lourdes. And today we're going to celebrate that a little bit. We're going to be interviewing two guests today, Elizabeth Vicagelli, the author of Lourdes Font of Faith, Hope, and Charity, and Marlene Watkins, author of Everyday Miracles of Lourdes. So this will be a Lourdes episode. And for people who want to check out a program that I did about Lourdes, you can go to uh, EWTN Religious Catalog and look for Miracles of Lourdes. And that was a program that came out last year. Uh, We went behind the scenes and we actually got to interview the whole medical commission, the bureau there that investigates all those miracles that are claimed through healing water and those very few that are promoted and established as being without natural explanation. So it was a fascinating experience to go behind the curtain, you might say, see how it all works behind the scenes. But uh, check that out, Miracles of Lourdes, available from EWTN Religious Catalog at EWTNRC.com. And check out my program, Explore with the Miracle Hunter, Our Lady of Barang. I travel to one of the 20th century's most highly approved Marian apparition cases as the Virgin with the Golden Heart appeared 33 times to five children at a convent school in Barang in Belgium. And uh, I report on what happened there. Check that one out uh, Saturday at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Time to find out more about that fascinating Marian Apparition, and the episode of They Might Be Saints, which airs this week, and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time is the the typical time it airs. This week it is on Blessed Michael McGivney, the founder of the Knights of Columbus. So check that one out, They Might Be Saints, this week. Later in the show, we're going to be looking at the 365 Days with Mary like we always do. This project looks at Mary's uh, devotions and feast days and miracles that line up exactly to the date and the calendar year. And so for today's date, February 10th, we've got the icon of the Mother of God of Sumorin from Totma in Russia in the year 1554. And the might-be saint of the day, Blessed Claire Agolanti of Rimini uh, is today's might-be saint of the day. And the question of the week What about the apparitions at Garabandal? People have that question a lot, but we'll give you an update on what's the latest coming out of there. And this is a new new segment, new for uh, 2024, the Miracle of the Day. Uh, For today's date, February 10th, we commemorate a miracle that happened February 10th, 1570, a miraculous statue in the Philippines. So we'll uh, talk about that a little bit later in the program. Let's take a look at the miracle news. Uh, We do this uh, every week where we talk about the miracles happening around the world and those things that relate to miracles. And uh, I was just talking to somebody the other day about uh, this mystic Luisa Picaretta uh, who lived from 1865 to 1947. And she she had these mystical writings, uh, supposedly. She was called to spread the message of the, quote, divine will, Um, but since 1938, there have been doctrinal problems that have been identified with the writings of Luisa Picaretta. Um, and the news coming out, uh, being, uh, reported by LaCroix International, uh, Catholic website, they say that the beatification process of Luisa Picaretta has now been suspended. 
And of course, we always like to uh, we like to report on when canonization causes are moving forward. That's always more fun and exciting for people, especially followers of that devotion and that person. But uh, it's always our duty to report on things that uh, also are, get, are moving in the other direction. So this cause is suspended. The Catholic Church will not beatify Luisa Picaretta, an Italian mystic known for her spiritual exercises that centered on union with the will of God. And uh, this past week, Bishop Benoit Bertrand of Mende, the president of the French Bishop's Episcopal Doctrinal Commission, shared a message from the Dicastery for the Cause of Saints addressed to the bishops of France, and the message conveyed the decision to halt the examination of the case of Luisa Picaretta, initiated in 1994 by Italian Archbishop Giovanni Battista Piccieri of Trani. And so why did the church uh, change directions with this Italian mystic? who has gained so many so much interest amongst priests and lay people in especially in recent years uh, bishop bertrand repeats the arguments put forward by the dicastery which are three kinds theological christological and anthropological picaretta's conception of the divine will does not leave man the possibility to exercise his own free will that's a quote it does not incorporate quote the primacy of god's merciful and unconditional love quote and finally there is quote little or no mention of the resurrection of christ Christian hope, and ecclesial communion. So Bishop Bertrand therefore advises caution regarding the dissemination of Picaretta's messages, echoing the warning of Cardinal Marcelo Semeraro, prefect of the Dicastery for the Causes of Saints, who had asked him in a 2022 letter to accordingly evaluate the popular dissemination of such elements to avoid confusion amongst believers. And so, again, this is news being reported by LaCroix International website, and uh, this appears to be the ending of the cause related to Luisa Picaretta. I know personally people who have a great interest in this devotion and, and maintain this devotion, so this will become uh, this will be disappointing news for numerous people around the world. But uh, as the as the uh, as the report goes, that the uh, her canonization cause has now been halted. So unfortunate news for uh, followers of Luisa Picaretta. For, for people who out there who want more information on the ending of this canonization cause, you can go to the Facebook page of The Miracle Hunter, where I've got that story from the Corps where I posted for so people can uh, check that out in great detail. Let's take a look at Catholic Pub Trivia. Each week I ask a trivia question and give out a prize, the Miracle Hunter image of the faces of Mary, for the person who writes in with the fastest, uh, fastest with the correct answer. And last week we asked the question... Um, what is the only apparition that happened before Our Lady of Good Success that's been investigated and approved by the local bishop? We talked last week about Our Lady of Good Success in that interview, and uh, it's the only one that happened before that, of course, is Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, from December 12, 1531, and uh, the official approval came out from that in the 1700s. So Our Lady of Good Success uh, happened uh, in a time in between those two events. So thanks for everybody who wrote in with that correct answer. And the question for this week, we're, we're focusing on Our Lady of Lourdes. And so the question is, how many decades were on the rosary held by the Virgin Mary at Lourdes? Again, that question is, how many decades were on the rosary held by the Virgin Mary during her apparitions at Lourdes? If you think you know that answer and want to win the prize, the image of the faces of Mary, send me an email to questions at miraclehunter.com or go through my website, send me a message that way, and uh, the fastest respondent with the correct answer is going to win that prize. And answers and winners will be posted on the show page on miraclehunter.com. We need to take a short break. But when we come back, we're going to be talking to Elizabeth Ficacelli, 
about how the miracles of Lourdes are investigated and approved. Stay with us for that. Now, back to the Miracle Hunter on EWTN. Here's Michael O'Neill. Welcome back. You're listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show on EWTN radio. This is Michael O'Neill. I'm the Miracle Hunter. I think people think about miracles, uh, the big kind anyways, uh, those those that uh, potentially could get investigated by Rome, uh, is happening all around the world. And uh, miracles do happen every day and everywhere. But the kind that get investigated in Rome are of two sorts normally, uh, or they're investigated fully, I should say, of two sorts. One in Rome, uh, we talk about uh, those uh, healing miracles that are often used as intercessory miracles uh, for the uh, canonization of saints. And the other place in the world, the only other place, as it turns out, is at Lourdes in France, uh, in, on the heels of that 1858 uh, Marian apparition, uh, 18 uh, visions experienced by St. Bernadette Subru, the 14-year-old French girl, who uh, dug in the ground and water emanated, and people began to wash in the water. And over the years, they've set up a medical commission and have looked at thousands and thousands of cures, and some of which have been validated as without medical explanation. And uh, both places use what we call the Lambertini criteria, which dates back uh, some centuries, actually. And uh, it talks about uh, how the uh, church uh, will look at these cases and say that uh, there's nothing that they can do to explain using a scientific or natural explanation for what's going on. And we're so excited today to be joined by a true expert on Lourdes, and that is Elizabeth Ficicelli. Uh, fans of this show know that she's been on the show many times, and uh, we love to talk to her about Lourdes. And you may have tuned in last year for a program, Miracles of Lourdes, where uh, she was interviewed as one of the, the main guests in that program. And she's got a book, Lourdes Font of Faith, Hope, and Charity, that details the history of St. Bernadette and Lourdes and miracles uh, that happen even today. Welcome back to the show today, Elizabeth Ficicelli. Hi there, Michael. It's always a joy to be with you, and on this feast day of Our Lady of Lourdes. Yeah, it's so great to uh, to chat with you with uh, with this feast day upon us. And uh, this is one of the big three in my book. We got Fatima, Lourdes, and Guadalupe. These are the three. There are a lot of Marian apparitions throughout history, maybe as many as two thousand five hundred that the Church has looked at. But these are the big three that always uh, everybody always talks about as being the ones where people have the biggest devotions and the most interest. And uh, as you have, I've been to Lourdes uh, several times, and it's always uh, an incredible place to visit. And I think. Uh, when you go, uh, when a person goes, uh, the water of Lourdes is something that always catches uh, people's attention because that is the source uh, of the healing miracles there that are claimed at Lourdes. But I wanted to talk to you today a little bit about the history of the Lourdes miracles. How did how did this come to be that Lourdes is known as one of these, as perhaps the top place of miracles in the world? Where, when did that all start? So the water part of the uh, story of Lourdes uh, goes back to the apparitions. Uh, in, in Somewhere in the middle of the apparitions is when Our Lady had um, instructed Bernadette to uh, dig in this, this mud and, and to uh, wash her face and, and eat the weeds that were in, in this area. And she did not do this to, uh, <laughs> to bring about these cures and miracles. She didn't tell you know, Bernadette, you do this and, and all these miracles are going to happen. What she instructed Bernadette to do was to do this for a reparation for sins in the world. It was an act of penance. So, of course, people observing what Bernadette is doing, some of them were quite aghast. You know, what is this girl doing? Uh, but others came back that day to see, you know, what, what was this? What, there had to be some reason for this. And that's when they see that right where she had dug that earlier that day, that a bubbling spring was in fact there. And people began to uh, imitate what Bernadette 
did by drinking and washing in this water. And lo and behold, miracles begin to happen. I mean, in 24 hours, the documentation of miracles, the first one of a woman with a paralyzed arm, you know, Catherine Latape, uh, she is cured. There's cures of a dying child, uh, hmm. uh, blindness, a person with a crushed leg, that there's bone regeneration. I mean, so these are astonishing miracles. Yet Our Lady had never said this was the purpose of, of the spring. So, you know, I think this is what makes the word get out about Lourdes, that there is this miraculous spring there. And people come there and uh, with great hopes. They come from the, the local villages, then they come from all over France, eventually Europe, and then and the world uh, with the hopes uh, of that water. But I always find it really interesting that it was not an original promise of Our Lady, uh, and yet we still see the miracles happen even to our very day. Absolutely. And uh, the instruction was to wash in the water versus bathe in the water, but that has been the uh, how it's been uh, for years going forward, where they've set up these uh, these pools or baths for people to go into. And, and as you say, uh, miracles still happen even at Lourdes today. And so one of the interesting things is that uh, they have a very uh, strict medical commission there. I mean, it's the most, uh, they have the most documentation, they have the most uh, formed process uh, of anywhere in the world for investigating miracles. And often I've talked to different shrines around the world and they've said, I wish we had something like this here, but it's kind of interesting. How did that actually happen that this, that these doctors from all, all over the world weigh in on this and they have a doctor on staff at the, at the bureau there? How does that, how did that all come to be in the first place? Well, when people began to report miracles, you know, to claim miracles, it was it was quite exciting, and and it almost became commonplace. They would announce these miracles, <clears throat> pardon me, after masses, and 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 you can still see even to this day, people would uh, hang these little placards, these heart shaped placards, thanking the Virgin for this cure of this, this miracle, this answered prayer, and so quickly the the local church realizes, well, we need to have some kind of a system, some kind of a format to kind of document that these are you know, miracles that are happening. And so this would lead to the establishment of, of the original Medical Bureau, a commission um, that was formed in 1884. It's officially established, and it would consist of a director and doctors that were present there that could carefully document, you know, the claims that people were making as a result of coming in contact with that water. And then at the same time, you have Rome, and you mentioned this at the, at the, the opening of this segment, uh, Michael, that you know Rome has its own system for documenting miracles that are in association with the canonization process. And they use that Lambertini cri- uh, criteria that you mentioned. So um, it was Pope Pius X that then gets in touch with um, the church there at Lourdes and says that the medical bureau needs to submit to the same process as the church. So you would have that consistency. Um, and so that's good on one hand. On the other, the challenge was that Lambertini, you know, uh, criteria was already 100 years old, even in the mid-1800s. Yeah, let's and talk medical... about the Lambertini criteria a little bit. I mean, I think people will want to know, what are those rules? That, I mean, it's still the official rule book used by Rome for investigating healing miracles. What are what are some of the criteria that uh, that is used there in Lourdes? Well, you need to establish that there there is this this medical condition, that there is this problem. Um, and then you need to uh, document how this medical problem has changed. But, you know, where some of the problems come in is that it could be, you know, no medical intervention and, and so forth, so that it, 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 it's a complete cure. It's, it's not a recurring thing. It's, uh, you know, a complete done. It's, it is cured, you know, uh, not a gradual thing. And the problem is 
it was as modern, you know, uh, medical and science would progress is that people do go for treatment. They do go for, for you know, uh, medical, uh, um, you know, regimens so that they can get better, that they can fight these diseases. So right. that's part, I think, where it got a little sticky. Um, but yet this is still what they're, they're looking at. They're looking at a cure that is a complete, total, um, you know, has not reversed. That there's no medical explanation. If there's there's just no uh, no natural explanation that that this is a supernatural. It's beyond our understanding how this suddenly uh, stopped and 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 was made better. So uh, it, it becomes tricky. Um, but this nonetheless was the criteria that the uh, the medical bureau would have to employ. And so it it kind of explains how that while you have thousands and thousands, there's probably around seven thousand remarkable claims of um, restored physical health that's on file at the medical bureau there in Lourdes. But out of all of that, only 70 actually have been authenticated because it's a long, complicated process. There's a lot of medical documentation. Your time has to pass so that they do see that this cure has, has uh, been permanent and lasting. And so many cases are just stuck in the process or maybe it comes down to the bishop. The person's, the one of the final steps is the person who is claiming this miracle has to go to their bishop and get him to buy in on this, to read the documentation and to sign off on it. And a lot of bishops are either too busy, don't want to get involved in this kind of thing, or maybe they, you know, they don't actually believe in stuff because it is, it is private revelation. It's not mandatory that you believe in Lords and the miracles associated with Lords. So for whatever reasons, these cases are stuck. And so people say, Oh, only 70 cases. Um, and it does that again, of course, is only medical. You know, it's only the medical uh, uh, miracles. It's not talking about psychological healings that can happen over there from addiction and depression and bipolar right. and so forth. It doesn't talk about the spiritual conversions that happen when people's lives are turned radically upside down. They come back to the Lord. They're changed forever. There's no bureaus over there measuring those miracles, uh-huh. only the physical. So it becomes challenging. Absolutely. We're talking today with Elizabeth Ficacelli, author of Lourdes Font of Faith, Hope, and Charity. You may have seen her appearing in the EWTN special, Miracles of Lourdes. And um, you, you mentioned that uh, only 70 over out of 7,000 or so cures have been formally recognized. And as you mentioned, the local bishops sometimes, in, in some cases, they've actually made the declaration that it's a remarkable cure because they're scared of the word miracle. They don't want to say miracle. So uh, mm-hmm. so some cases uh, won't haven't been added to that list of 70 because of the local bishop, as you mentioned. And also, we've talked about this before, that it's on the, uh, it's the responsibility of the patient to always come back and get checked up. It's not, uh, they don't send somebody out to the United States or wherever, wherever the person is claiming the miracle. You have to go back to Lourdes on your own dime and always Correct. be checked up. So it's uh, it's really, um, really a tricky thing for any miracles to be found. So um, when we talk about uh, the history of Lourdes miracles, um, there haven't, hasn't been one in a couple of years now, but the most recent case uh, related to Sister Bernadette Morio is absolutely fascinating. Tell us a little bit about what happened with Sister Bernadette. Yeah, and it's so wonderful that these people are alive and can share their stories, and, and Sister has, but Sister uh, Bernadette Moriot is a, a religious French sister, and she was a person who had severe problems with her back, a lot of back problems, pain, uh, nerve pain, and it went on for years and years, so a very real and chronic case of, of a person with, with a medical condition. At uh, the time that she went on her pilgrimage to Lourdes, uh, she was needing to get around in a wheelchair 
uh, for mobility. She was on morphine for her pain, so you can see how, how very afflicted she was. And she went on this pilgrimage to Lourdes. And sometimes people claim they feel something happen when they drink the water or when they're in the baths. In the case of Sister Bernadette, she said it was during the, the Eucharistic procession, which happens every day um, it, during the season of Lourdes, which is like May to October. Uh, there, it's followed by the blessing of the sick. And it was during this time, that blessing of the sick, is where Sister felt a very powerful encounter with the Lord. Um, she felt like the Lord was interior, interiorly um, instructing her to lift up in prayer all those people that were surrounding her, you know, in their wheelchairs and so forth, to lift them up to the Lord at that moment, and she did. Um, but it was a very powerful spiritual moment. Now, it didn't mean her pain went away or anything changed at that moment, mm-hmm. but she went home still in pain, you know, still had not changed, but she, she didn't forget that experience with the Lord. It was very powerful. Three days later, she was praying in her chapel, in her convent, and when she was done, she went back to her room, and there she was inspired to remove her braces off her legs. And lo and behold, she was pain-free, and she could walk. And she is still in that condition of being pain-free and able to walk. You can see her now and on videos and so forth. She, I think she's written a book. And so it is an astonishing, unexplainable case of how could this woman go from that to that in that rapid amount of time you know, but but how can you conclude anything else other than this uh, amazing miracle of our day and age? So it's just wonderful, and uh, she's just charming if you can see her on videos and so forth. She's a beautiful, sweet, humble personality. Absolutely, and I love the the part of the story where after she is hurt, her healing is, is uh, she has her healing, she goes on a long five-kilometer walk uh, to celebrate, yes. something that she wasn't able to do before. Uh, absolutely amazing. I, 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 uh, I think that's an inspiration for a lot of people. And we've been talking today with Elizabeth Ficacelli, author of Lourdes Font of Faith, Hope, and Charity. You may have seen her in Miracles of Lourdes on EWTN last year. And uh, for people who want to find out more about your books or, uh, or your activities, what's the best website or other place, Elizabeth, that people can go and, and check you out? Sure, sure. The main med, uh, website is elizabethficacelli.com. Wonderful. Nice and easy. Well, we're so grateful to you joining us, uh, celebrating this feast day of Our Lady of Lourdes. I know for both of us, it's one of our absolute favorites and a great time to talk about miracles. So thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining us on today's program. All right. Thanks. God bless, Michael. God bless. That was Elizabeth Ficacelli. Check her out at elizabethficacelli.com. And the name of her book is Lourdes, Font of Faith, Hope, and Charity. We need to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to be looking at the question of the week. Stay with us for that. Now, back to the Miracle Hunter on EWTN. Here's Michael O'Neill. Welcome back. You're listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show on EWTN Radio. This is Michael O'Neill. I'm the Miracle Hunter. I love getting your questions. People write in from around the world about questions that are happening around the world now and have happened centuries ago. And uh, I get a lot of emails from around the world, but I also like uh, doing a question and answer segment when I do a talk. I travel around the country, give maybe 20 talks a year at different parishes or uh, different shrines, uh, organizations that uh, have me speak about miracles, oftentimes these days about Eucharistic miracles due to the Eucharistic revival. But at the end, I always open it up to questions about miracles. I love to hear what people are thinking about. 
I got a question coming in this week to the email account that uh, I get all the time, but I think that people are still curious about this, and so it's worth uh, worth mentioning. And uh, the question is coming in from Claire. Claire asks, what about the Garabandal apparitions? Are they real or not? Well, thanks, Claire, for your question. And uh, for people who don't know, and most most Catholics are aware a little bit about this, the apparitions in Garabandal uh, began in the 1960s, June 18th, 1961, to be exact. Uh, there were four girls aged 11 and 12 years old, Marie Loli Mason, Jacinta Gonzalez, Marie Cruz Gonzalez, and Maria Conchita Concepcion Gonzalez. Um, those were the four girls uh, who claimed visions of St. Michael the Archangel and the Blessed Virgin Mary, occurring 1961 to 1965 in this rural, rural area, this rural village of Spain, San Sebastián de Garabandal, Garabandal for short. It's in this uh, Peña Sagra mountain region um, there in northern Spain. And so uh, what's interesting about this is that these apparitions, which concluded in 1965, were investigated initially by the local bishop. And uh, the position of the church, uh, if we look at the first statement from July 8th, Bishop Eugenio Beticha of Santander, he wrote, we point out, however, that we have not found anything deserving of ecclesiastical censorship or condemnation, either in the doctrine or in the spiritual recommendations that have been publicized as having been addressed to the faithful, for those contain an exhortation to prayer and sacrifice, to Eucharistic devotion, to veneration of Our Lady, in traditional praiseworthy ways, and to holy fear of God offended by our sins. They simply repeat the common doctrine of the Church in these matters. So, um, that was the initial statement that basically said that there was uh, nothing wrong with the messages, nothing gets in the way, uh, nihil obstat, you might say, nothing gets in the way of the uh, devotion or promotion of these messages. But um, in 1967, Bishop Vicente Puchelmontes of Santander, he issued an official note declaring, there was no apparition either of the Virgin Mary or of St. Michael the Archangel or of any other celestial personage. There was no uh, message. All the phenomena which have occurred it have a natural explanation. So that was a, a very early uh, statement there. And so the, uh, the official uh, statement of the church is of this category of non constate supernaturalitate. It is not established as supernatural. This is sort of the middle category. It's not the approval, constate supernaturalitate, which we see at Fatima or Lourdes, and it's not the condemnation that we see in other apparitions where we say non constate. It has been definitively established. Uh, it's not supernatural. And so uh, in Spanish, no constaba is the phrase that was used. And this was the original statement that was made by the local bishop. And so years after years, you see uh, different requests of the faithful who have an interest in this Marian apparition uh, that's been claimed. Uh, they will ask for clarification or reinvestigation. And the bishop always says something along the lines of what he said, always going back to the original statement of no, no, no constaba, uh, where there's uh, not established as supernatural. So even to this present day, uh, we see Garabandal sitting in this middle category where it's not condemned. They haven't found anything wrong with the, the messages uh, that, were, that were claimed there. Uh, there's nothing against faith and morals in those messages. But they also haven't found it uh, worthy of approving as supernatural, so, like some of these other famous apparitions that I mentioned. So uh, 
Good question, Claire. What's going on with Garbandal? The answer is, it is what it's always been, which is that they keep referring back to those original statements, which is uh, no constaba, that there's no, not, it hasn't been established as supernatural. So thanks so much, Claire, for your question. And if you have a question for the Miracle Hunter, you can send me an email to questions at miraclehunter.com, and maybe I'll be answering your question on the air next week. Let's take a look at the 365 Days with Mary project. We do this every week where we look at the Marian devotion of the day as it lines up exactly to the day's date. And for today, we've got the icon of the Mother of God of Sumorin from Totma in Russia in the year 1554. And uh, of course, you all know uh, Fatima, uh, May 13th, or Lourdes, February 11th, or Guadalupe, December 12th. But on every other day of the calendar year, there's a different other Marian devotion, and this one today is from Russia. So the Samoran Totma icon of the Mother of God became renowned for numerous healings at the Speso Sumoran Monastery of the city of Totma. In the year 1554, St. Theodosius received the grant for building a church, and the icon thereafter received the name Sumoran Totma. Sumoran is the family name of St. Theodosius, and Totma is a city. And after the death of the monk, the wonder-working icon was put in a case in front of the crypt of the saint at the Ascension Church of the monastery, and St. Theodosius has appeared many times to the sick, holding his icon in his hands, according to various reports. And that is the icon of the Mother of God of Sumoran from Totma, Russia, in the year 1554. For more information on this fascinating devotion or any of the hundreds of Marian devotions from around the world, you can go to 365dayswithmary.com, join the Facebook page with 10,000 followers, or you can get the free app on the Apple App Store, a Marian Calendar, 365 Days with Mary. Now let's take a look at the miracle of the day. We do this every week as well, where we, and this is new for 2024, where we talk about the miracles that have happened throughout Christian history as they line up exactly to the day's date. And uh, again, we've got uh, today's date of February 10th, and it is uh, Nuestra Señora de Guía, Our Lady of the Guidance, Guidance, which is a miraculous statue. And so uh, the story goes that one of the sailors to land on the island of Luzon in 1570, while walking in the woods near the native settlement of Manila, came upon a religious ceremony held by the natives, and they were honoring an image of the Mother of God, a statue on a rough pedestal. And the natives told the Spanish that the statue had the power to make the petitions come true, and indeed miracles were performed there. And since nothing of the origin could be learned, the sailors determined to name the statue uh, by uh, that title, Our Lady of Guidance. And so that is the miracle of the day. Let's take a look at the sainthood news. We uh, always look at uh, the concept of They Might Be Saints, which is the name of my television series on EWTN, airing every Wednesday at uh, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, the same name of my book, They Might Be Saints, which is available from EWTNRC.com. And one of the causes that I've been paying uh, special attention to is uh, for Joseph Dutton. And Joseph Dutton, uh, you may know him as having been affiliated with uh, St. Damien of Molokai in there in Hawaii is where his canonization is uh, is underway. And so the news came out just this past week that Joseph Dutton's cause for canonization has now been sent to the Vatican. So that just means it's moved from the local level, the diocesan level, and is now being considered by Rome. So it's a huge step forward. And so the Civil War veteran who helped St. Damien of Malachi in Hawaii could someday be declared a saint. On Saturday, Sunday, January 21st, the Bishop Larry Silva of the Diocese of Honolulu presided over a ceremony that officially sent Joseph Dutton's cause for canonization to Rome. And according to the Hawaii Catholic Herald, all the evidence gathered 2,000 pages worth 
will be packed up and sent to the dicastery for the causes of saints in Rome. They put a red ribbon on it and a wax seal and send it. And there the evidence will be studied by the men and women who work at the dicastery. And their responsibility will be to certify whether the certain of God, Joseph Dutton, lived a life truly heroic virtue and therefore is worthy of imitation on the part of the faithful. So if the Vatican verifies that Joseph Dutton lived heroic virtue, he will then be venerable in the first step being that, that being the first step towards beatification and canonization. And in order for him to be declared a saint, two miracles through his intercession will need to be verified and confirmed. And so that was, uh, that was the uh, story about uh, Joseph Dutton. Um, and we'll, we're excited to see his cause uh, moving forward. And perhaps he will be a new saint from the United States someday. We'll keep you updated on his cause. We're talking today about uh, the might-be saint of the day. And of course, we're talking about venerables and blesseds before they have all their miracles racked up and are declared saints by Rome. And so uh, the saint of the day is uh, Blessed Claire Agolanti of Rimini. And uh, she was born in 1282 at Rimini in Italy, and she was born to nobility. She was married twice, and she spent most of her life in dissolute, sinful ways. While her father and brother were executed in civil disturbances, Claire changed her life completely. She became a Franciscan tertiary and founded a convent, though she never became a nun. In an attempt to make up for her earlier life, she practiced penances that were considered extreme even by 14th century standards and once sold herself into slavery so she could use the money to buy a man out of prison. And the local judge commuted the man's sentence, had the money returned, and Claire was freed. And legend says that uh, once, when some nuns of Rimini were freezing outside without fuel for their fires, Claire went into the woods, picked up a huge log, and started carrying it to the convent. And a native uh, stopped her, a relative stopped her, and said that it was beneath her dignity as a noble woman to carry wood like a servant, but she said if Jesus could carry great pieces of wood to Golgotha for the sake of sinners like her, she could hardly balk at carrying it for the brides of Christ. And she died on February 10, 1344 at Rimini in Italy of natural causes. And she is buried there at the convent that she founded. And she was beatified by Pope Paul VI on December 22, 1784. And with one miracle, Blessed Claire Agolanti will become St. Claire Agolanti of Rimini. Find out more information about her cause and any of the others uh, on the path to sainthood that we feature on They Might Be Saints. If you go to theymightbesaints.com and you'll also find out more about the upcoming episode of They Might Be Saints about Father Michael McGivney. Uh, this week, uh, Father Michael McGivney will be the source of or the subject of the episode. He's the founder of the Knights of Columbus, beatified in 2020 after a miraculous cure of a boy was attributed to him. Check that one out. They might be saints on EWTN every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. We need to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking with Marlene Watkins, author of Everyday Miracles of Lourdes. Stay with us for that. Now, back to the Miracle Hunter. On EWTN, here's Michael O'Neill. Welcome back. You're listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show on EWTN Radio. This is Michael O'Neill. I'm the Miracle Hunter. Well, today is the day before the big feast day of Our Lady of Lourdes. And so we're happy and excited to dedicate this whole episode to Our Lady of Lourdes. And uh, the interview coming up is with Marlene Watkins. She's the author of Everyday Miracles of Lourdes from Sophia Institute Press. And uh, we spoke with her previously, and uh, I hope that you enjoy the conversation. 
welcome author Marlene Watkins. Welcome to the program today, Marlene. Well, thank you. Thank you so much to have us, and it's, it's always wonderful to talk to somebody that loves Lord. Absolutely. I've been there uh, several times on, on pilgrimage and uh, filming there with EWTN, and it's really, um, it's really an incredible place. I call it a little bit of a Catholic Disneyland. Even the, even the Basilica looks like the, uh, the Disney castle. It's, a, it's an amazing place, and partly because, we, of course, we have those 18 visions received by that 14-year-old girl, St. Bernadette Subaru. Without her, there would be no Lourdes, but uh, it's an incredible place of Catholic pilgrimage and healing. We have the, those healing miracles that resulted after she dug in the ground and the healing spring came forth and people began to wash in the water. Those miracles were claimed. Um, and so your book, Everyday Miracles of Lourdes, we can talk about some of these incredible other things that have uh, been claimed throughout history. These people have gone there on pilgrimage, the, uh, the Malads, those people who are seeking healing, and others who, who go for uh, spiritual rebirth in some way or another. Talk to us a little bit about what inspired the book, Miracles of Lourdes. Well, we had, um, for 20 years, it's our 20th, it was our 20th anniversary, and there were just so many extraordinary experiences that had happened in those two decades. And, you know, it's been a long time promise that, uh, that we would capture them and write them, and, and, but just, you know, a lot of different things got in the way and uh, delayed us, and, and then eventually the, the world slowed down for COVID, and it came the time that we, we stayed home from Lourdes and began to relive those experiences by writing the book. And it was um, just as awesome to be recalling them and writing them as it was to be in awe when they actually happened. And, and, and so you, you were you were there. You've been there for so many many year after year as a uh, volunteer, uh, special needs and volunteer pilgrimages. And so you've it's, you've seen these these things happen in person. You've you've been a witness to to some yes. of these great experiences. Yes, to every one of them, all but twenty chapters in the book that are people that I met and encountered uh, going to Lourdes and was with them throughout their experience. But we never expected that they would be in a book. So each one of them, I contacted them and asked if uh, their story could be written. And for some of them, they're very personal stories and very intimate stories, things that other people don't know about them. Some of them, their family members don't know. And so um, we asked each person, would they agree to have their story written? Some had to pray and think about it. And then ultimately, all of them came back and said, this grace is too great for me to, to hide it needs to be shared, you know, not kept just for myself, but it's a grace to be shared with others, maybe others that are suffering what they were suffering um, or what the, the miracle that they needed in their life. And so their picture is in there. Um, their last name is in but the picture is in there, and, they're, uh, and, and they signed, actually, a document saying this is really what happened, and it's accurate, and I attest to this grace in my life. It was really a, a, a joy to re-experience it, and also to really feel their pain again. For some of them, were, you know, if you're in need of healing, there must be a reason for it, and sometimes it's a painful reason. So it's, um, it's a book that brings hope and joy, but it also takes us through the hardships that, that regular people endure every day. But it, it also tells us that the Gospels are, are real, that they're still happening now, that all of these incredible graces of the encounters with Jesus Christ are still taking place now in Lourdes. 
Absolutely. And I, I liked in your book, you talked about the three P's of the gospel message of Lourdes and how that still connects to our lives. Talk to us about uh, about that. Well, it, you know, it's a call to prayer. That You know, the first thing that Bernadette does when she encounters Our Lady is they, they pray together. And, and in fact, there's no talking, it's in silence. And they, they pray the rosary together. And Bernadette leaves that apparition. She never makes the sign of the cross the way she used to. After she leaves the grotto, and, and many of us go to the grotto, the, 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 the true calling on the three persons in one God, on the Blessed Trinity. And Bernadette says later in her life, if we pray this one prayer well, we can go to heaven. And she prays it with all of her heart, slowly and thoughtfully. So it's a, it's a call to prayer. And, of course, they pray the rosary every time they eat, which is why the Basilica is named the Rosary Basilica. And, and we pray the rosary in a candlelight procession every night throughout the season, from Holy Week all the way to All Saints Day. And people come with all different languages, and it's the universal church there uh, praying. We light our candles from each other, the light of Christ to each other. Um, so it's, it's the prayer, and then there's also the procession, which, of course, is the candlelight rosary procession, and another tea of Lourdes, and then um, it, it's also the Eucharistic procession, because Lourdes is a very Christocentric shrine. Um, I know it's a Marian shrine, of course. We It's the largest visited Marian shrine in Europe, but... It's uh, truly Christ-centered, and that's what Our Lady always does, is comes to bring us to our Son, Jesus Christ. And so there's these two processions, the Eucharist and then the candlelight. They both bring us to the Church. And then, the, of course, the really the heart of the message of Lord's is penance. Our Lady says it three times to bring it, penance, 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 pray for sinners. And all of us who leave Lord's um, were called to offer the sufferings in our lives for different things that we can offer in our life, the sacrifices we can make for others. So it's a, a call to prayer, um, and it's a call, you know, and all of us are proceeding somewhere in life. We're going from this world to the other world. So how are we getting there, and, and where are we going? Um, you know, how, is, how are we leading our life to take us into the other world? Uh, let's let's talk about that a little bit. Life. In your book, you, t- you, you talk about how we will enter heaven. How will we do that? Well, you know, this one of the chapters is really um, an amazing experience that this uh, one of the volunteers who, who comes with us still does, and um, she did not know she was allergic to bees. She was gardening. She was stung right in the throat by a bee, and uh, ultimately she winds up in a coma. And in this coma, she doesn't realize that she's in a hospital bed in a coma in California because what she experiences is that she is transported to Lourdes. She finds herself there with a perfect vantage point to watch the Eucharistic procession. And she realizes when she comes out of the coma that in following the Eucharistic procession, that is um, the, the, the best way to heaven. She says, you know, if we only just realize if you're following the Holy Eucharist, if you're, if you, if you're going to the Lord and you're following our Lord, that's how you're going to get to heaven, is to follow the, uh, Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. So... Uh, when she comes out of the coma, she's just so strong about this to share that. And there's other parts of her story that I, I haven't spoken about but that is in the book, but it's really an extraordinary experience for her because she was, her her time was actually suspended that uh, the doctor said it's just impossible to go that many hours with such an allergic reaction and not die, but her time was suspended praying the rosary, and then she finds herself in Lourdes and She's really convinced that um, when we die, if we just follow Jesus, that we're going, we're going to heaven. 
Wow, an amazing story. We're talking today with Marlene Watkins, the author of Everyday Miracles of Lourdes from Sophia Institute Press, a brand new book about some of the miracles uh, that has been have been witnessed by Marlene, uh, a volunteer there in Lourdes for many, many years. And so uh, did you have a favorite story of these? I know they're all your favorites in, in one way or another, but uh, did one stick out as uh, one that will, will be, be with you forever? Well, I think that the beauty of, of the 20 stories, and, and I know all of the people, and, and I, they're all like facets of one beautiful jewel that is, you know, the, the gospel message of Lord. Um, but I think that the beauty of it is that there's a chapter in this book for everyone. There's something that will resonate and relate with every single reader, because all of us know people who have suffered or experienced. There's, um, you know, the near-death experience there of, of, of Cora. There's also um, people who were, you know, terminally ill that are, um, you know, in a grace. They're still alive. There um, are people who suffered um, death of a loved one, um, uh, someone who had an abortion, and she said it was a hole in her that, Nothing could heal. She came to Lourdes and a liquid grace filled the hole. So I think that people can relate to all these different types of stories. There's a man caught in Hurricane Katrina. He screams out into 135 mile an hour wind to Bernadette to, to help him to save his life. And there's this just incredible, um, amazing experiences of, that are so vastly different. No two chapters alike. Um, and I, I have to say just, Every time that I think of those people and their experience, I'm still in awe at the time because it, it just it shows the hand of God, that, that God really is watching over us and watching out for each of us, and His, his mercy is so great that um, He's wooing us all the time. So I don't know that I can say I have a favorite one or one that stands out the most. Um, I think that all of them strike me so strongly that um, they all had to be in the book. Absolutely. We're talking today with Marlene Watkins, the author of Everyday Miracles of Lourdes, a brand new book that's out for Sophia Institute Press. And we just celebrated uh, the feast day of Our Lady of Lourdes this past week. So it's perfect timing uh, to get to know this new book, uh, Everyday Miracles of Lourdes. And as we wrap up the interview today, what is your hope for people? I know that uh, so many people, uh, perhaps uh, as many as uh, five million a year, uh, travel to Lourdes on pilgrimage. So many people have had their own experiences of miracles and have read about these these miracles. And there are so many people who love St. Bernadette. So those are the people who are going to be interested in the book. But this has an appeal to everyone because I think everybody is moved by the stories of miracles and, uh, and a connection uh, to the Blessed Virgin Mary. What is your hope for people who pick up this book who perhaps may not know as much about Lourdes? Well, you know, I think a lot of times we can maybe have heard the Gospels or maybe we're not even familiar with them, but... Uh, we just question or wonder or doubt, you know, is this a coincidence? Is this really God? Is, you know, are the stories in the Gospels, if we know them, are they really, really true? Did they really happen 2,000 years ago? Um, these are uh, incredible inter- intercessions and interventions that are happening right now that are people that are you can meet and see. Um, they're extraordinary experiences in our lifetime. And you know, if we doubt and wonder, is this really real? We shouldn't feel badly. St. Thomas, a great apostle, had the same question. He wanted to see the wounds and put his hands on them. So if you're wondering, um, get the book, read the book, borrow the book, find it, and um, you can become the great next St. Thomas 
today that you can see that these miracles still happen. Our Lord still loves us and um, intercedes in our lives, and it happens at Lord's every day. It can happen everywhere every day, and I think it's just a testament to um, how awesome God is and a testament to our desire for hope and our an increase in our faith. Absolutely. Well, we're so grateful to you, Marlene Watkins, the author of this brand new book, Everyday Miracles of Lourdes from Sophia Institute Press. Uh, People can go to the Sophia Institute website or anywhere Catholic books are sold uh, to pick up this great new book. Thank you so much, Marlene, for joining us on today's program. Thank you so much. God bless. That was Marlene Watkins, author of Everyday Miracles of Lourdes. Uh, for people who love Lourdes and those people who love miracles, uh, this is a great one to check out from Sophia Institute Press, Everyday Miracles of Lourdes. And that's all the time we have for today's show. If you missed any of this episode or want to catch up on past episodes, you can go to EWTN.com radio, check out the audio archives, or download the free EWTN app. I'd like to thank our guest today, Elizabeth Ficacelli, author of Lourdes Font of Faith, Hope, and Charity and Marlene Watkins, author of Everyday Miracles of Lourdes. Check out Explore with the Miracle Hunter. This week is Borang. We look at the 20th century's, one of its most highly approved Marian apparition cases, as the Virgin with the Golden Heart appeared 33 times to five children at a convent school in Borang, Belgium. I'll be reporting on that. And I'd like to thank you for joining me today on Miracle Hunter, where from claims of healings and visions to the world's most inexplicable events, whether you're a believer or a skeptic, The truth is always worth the hunt. Talk to you next week.